Greetings, greetings and salutations one and all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the night shift. It's another brand spanking new week right here on the night shift with DJ Kevin Stew. Tonight we do a thing we call community and finance and boy, what a look into the community it will be tonight. I want to apologize for the slightly delayed start due to some technical issues, but we got it sorted out right in the nick of time. Tell these gremlins, let me tell you, these gremlins are real. I want to say big ups to each and everyone locked in right now. Those on TuneIn Radio, the night shift to DJ Kevin Stew. Across the Pond One Harmony Radio. WGLRO, home of the Donny Walker Morning Show, taking you from the sheets to the streets, touching Detroit to Denmark and all points in between. Big ups, big ups, big ups to you. It is time for us to make peace and stop the fighting. I want to say big ups to PEMGTV.com. Thank you for the service. Say big ups to each and everyone locked in right here at the home of the night shift to DJ Kevin Stew, KevinStew.com. Inviting you to call a friend and tell a friend. Share it with a friend. Kicking it off with a little China Nicole. Track called Let It Be for Justice. I figured something was up, Marlon. For justice. If we fight, let it be for justice. If we war, let it be for justice. What we're doing, whatever we're doing, let it be for justice. From royalty, royalty, I wish so many of us. Want to say thanks to Pulse Media Group for sponsoring this segment of the show. When being in a moment is priceless, you want to give them a link 754-999-6020. Or visit them at pulsecmg.com. They can do everything you see right here on kevinstew.com and so much more. You want to stream on your own channel? Ooh, boy, 
You want to just broadcast an event? Give them a call. And also say thanks to Althea and her healing heavenly hands. Althea LSU is a licensed massage therapist. Operating out of Broad County, North Miami, Dade and South Palm Beach counties. Give her a call. She comes to you with a table and all. 954-655-9000 is the number to reach her. Or you can email her at theolator.att.net. Big ups also to Reggae Global Entertainment. Reggae Global Entertainment will be your booking agents. They can take care of your trademarks, your publishing, your music production, your business registration, and so much more. All you got to do is give them a call, 954-998-8034. And of course, GMAP Music Solutions, bringing your event to life, providing sound, light, and stage production services, musical equipment, PA systems, audio engineers, DJs, musicians, singers, bands. Whatever you need to bring your event to life. Get them a call, 754-307-GMAC. That's Of Miss China Nicole. Overseas, I'm so sick of these murders in the streets. Wanna say big ups to all those locked in in the stew pot. For those of you listening, wondering what is the stew pot? It's what others call a chat room. We over here, we're kind of fancy on Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew on KevinStew.com. We call it the stew pot. It's where we keep things bubbling and interactive. Come on in. It's a judgment-free zone. The water is always fine. And tonight, we're going to see if we can get one step closer to justice. I invite all of you to share with your friends. Invite them to tune in. 
kevinstew.com you can remain anonymous if you want to. 773-789-STEW gets you in touch. 773-789-7839. You can call, you can text. But without further ado, I bring to you the man of the moment. No stranger to the night shift. In fact, uh, I could just introduce him and, and leave. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you none other than Mr. Botinsky himself, Mr. David Fisher. David, welcome back to the show, bro. Thank you, Stu. I kind of took that as a as a hint that I could talk your ear off and not leave any room for anybody else. And that's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> it's one of your gifts, Dave. Not a, not a bad one. Not a yeah, bad one. Some people call it a gift. Some people call it a curse. <laughs> Depends on which side of my mouth you're on. <laughs> right. So, so, David. <clears throat> all right. Yes, sir. There has been some developments. And I have been, I have been watching them. And today I started scratching my head about something. Only to get a phone call from you to say, hey, Stu. Have you realized? <laughs> and <laughs> I have something that will blow your mind. And I was like, huh, I wonder what now. But here it is. You're going to bring us the what now. As it relates to George Floyd, there might be some things that we're missing along the way in our pointing of fingers to his death. And yes. that was that was the, the scratch my head moment as I was thinking about it today. Because something came back to me when I saw some other pictures from from um last week with with George Floyd's death. But you know, <laughs> when you talk to me and you bring me some information, I have to say, okay, let me sit back, grab my notepad, and listen. What was it that you realized, Dave? Well, I had been suspic suspicious after, now, the, the video that everybody's seen. Mm -hmm. uh, George on the ground with an officer's knee on his neck, yeah. pleading, you know, that he couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. And the officer did nothing but other than basically smirk. Yeah. While, while the bystanders pleaded with the officer. But there was something that bothered me all through that. And I wasn't willing to, you know, to, to come forward until I got some additional information. Right. But what I noted is that the kneeling on the neck, why distasteful and looks disturbing, could not have been the proximate cause of uh, George Floyd's death. Because if the officer's knee was, in fact, the, the primary culprit of suffocating him, cutting off his oxygen then he would not have been able to so clearly, concisely, 
transform his words and get across to you that he's, you know, he can't breathe. But because if you cross the windpipe, you can't talk. You can't okay. make words. You can make gurgling noises, but you can't. But George was clearly, you know, air in his lungs was going through his vocal cords, you know, pleading that he couldn't breathe to no avail. Now, as disturbing as all of this is, it raises the big question over why the hell did the county attorney charge Chauvin with the murder? Well, because Chauvin can beat that. Chauvin will beat that charge. <laughs> okay, why? When? Now, you and I had this a, a piece of this discussion earlier. When you yeah. say Chauvin can beat the charge of murder, based on what? Based on the fact that Chauvin's actions were not the proximate cause of his death where he kneeled on his neck and held his neck fixed in a position, the force of his knee was not sufficient to close off his windpipe so that he couldn't breathe. So that means there was something else going on that we could not see. His other knee? No. <laughs> other individuals. You see, I uh, I saw here just the, you know today mm -hmm. video from a camera across the street that showed the rest of George Floyd's body that was behind the patrol car that you couldn't see in the video of George's neck being nailed on, mm. and what it shows is two other police officers. I have that image up right One. now. Okay. So it it it, it has. One officer at the back of the of the vehicle of the uh, police vehicle, yes. and Holding then his leg. three, one at the back door on his legs, one at his mid torso, and Chauvin by his, his head. Neck. Right. The officer who killed Floyd is in the middle. On his, you know, kneeling in his back. That's where compression suffocation comes in. That's where it takes, when you're handcuffed and your hands are behind your back, it forces, it compresses the top of your chest inward. So it, it, it restricts the amount of room that your lungs can inflate. And then when you have your foot in somebody's back, it's like the old alligator crocodile you know, conundrum. You can hold a crocodile or alligator's mouth closed with your little finger and your thumb. Right. Because he has virtually no muscles to open his mouth. Okay. But by God, you don't want to be between those two jaws, jaws when, when they, they come, come down. down cause he, right. Yes, because he can generate, you know, I think it's like 1,200 pounds per square inch of pressure. Right. Well, the human body, the lungs are the same way. When inflated, you can, you can exert tremendous pressure in blowing, but you have virtually no muscles to expand your lungs. So it takes as little as five pounds of force in your back, with your hands behind your back, to collapse the lungs, and the person will not be able to, to breathe. So 
every time what George is doing is he's lose he's using what air is in his lungs that that knee is putting pressure on his back which is compressing his lungs so he has force but every time he says I can't breathe the volume of air in his lungs decreases mm-hmm. and and the pressure on the knee continues to compress the air that's left and he can say it again and again each time getting weaker and weaker because there's less and less air that last time squeezes all the air out and his lungs collapse now they're deflated it's like a collapsed lung you cannot reinflate that without without chest compression outside means yeah somebody you know blowing, blowing in holding your into... nose and blowing into your mouth because yeah, now your lungs are collapsed and you're on the road to death fast. And still, now you start seeing that he's he's dying. When you see that trickle of water, what looks like water coming out from under the patrol car. It's bodily fluids. I saw that in the video, the yeah. first time yeah. I saw yeah, the he, video. He's dying. He lost control of his bladder. Yeah. Brain urinated. Yeah. And, and that is your biggest red flag, that you are at the prefaces of his death. A few seconds more, and it, and it will be beyond, you Recovery. know, saving. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they still did nothing. No. <laughs> now, hmm. again, it's, it's the officer with the knee in the back that's preventing, you know, George from taking a breath where Chauvin is holding his neck stationary, it's not impairing his ability to breathe. It's the knee in his back that prevents him from taking the breath. Hmm. So the reason now is no doubt whatsoever that the county attorney knew this when they charged Chauvin. There's no doubt whatsoever that that Chauvin would beat this charge. But by the time they brought it to trial and over time, there would, there would be no nobody focusing on this, and those officers would move away. The trial would take place. There would be some technical testimony from the state that there's no evidence that the knee obstructed his... You know, his, his ability wit- to breathe. Yeah. And Chauvin would walk. And everybody would be left scratching their hand and say it was a dog and pony show, it was a scam. But, but truthfully, under the law, the ruling would be correct. The thing is that it was a scam from the beginning. Why do you and say that? And the county attorney had to have been part of it. Why do you say that? Because uh, I only have my visual observations. Yeah. Now, to make it clear, I am not an attorney. I am not a physician. I'm simply an individual who studies and understands what they read, and I know how the processes in real life work. I deal with medical examiners. Right. I deal with them a lot. Over the last 20 years. Yeah, you've and, uh, caused a few to resign, get fired, or 
possibly have charges. Ten chief, yes, I've removed 10 chief medical examiners in Texas over the last 10 years and shut right. down two medical examiner's offices, one permanently. And yeah. I have more to go. And so I, I know a little bit about which I speak. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Enough that people say, oh, you only know enough to make yourself dangerous. I said, yes, to you and the state, you're right. Yeah, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, right. Right. So what what I see immediately is, okay, Kevin can't be the killer because he can breathe. So what am I missing here? Mm. And so when I finally got to see the video that was taken from behind the patrol car, and you can then see the other two officers there on him, and you go, oh, damn. Right. Now it makes sense. Well, the county attorney... He's got all the body camera video. He's got all the he's got all the video. Right. He's got he's talked. He's got the officer statements. He knows what each one was doing. And for him then to charge Chavin, well, to the public, you know, Chavin is is Satan himself. Hmm. Yeah. His actions are as as dis- despicable as any living creature could be. Right. So, naturally, he's the target, but... Nobody's saying he's innocent in all of this. No, he's not innocent, because that, that hold is forbidden. Yes. But he's not the person who killed. Now, he is a heartless, gutless, probably a racially motivated individual. Yeah. But he's, but the bottom line is he's not the killer. He's a participant in the death. But he's not the person primarily responsible for the death. Now, he makes a perfect target mm. for the prosecutors to go after, and everybody is dancing in the street. But, you know, they would have been happier with first-degree murder right. than a third-degree you know, murder with a side helping of manslaughter, which means when I saw when I saw that, I go, "Oh crap!" They just gave the jury the manslaughter mm-hmm. because you're going to so mess up the jury. The most they'll ever come up with is manslaughter if they come up with any charge. Right. The the third degree murder isn't even in the ballpark. That'd be that'd be the easiest thing in the world for the defense attorneys to to have tossed in front of the juror, jury. That, that's easy. So he's either going to get no charge or manslaughter, and manslaughter and a police officer, you know, he may get time served and probation for five years and loss of his law enforcement commission. And, and we would be back in the streets and things would be burning again. Exactly, because it doesn't put an end to any of this at all. Doesn't doesn't answer any questions. It looks like another, you know, person of color, male of color, died at the hands of police, and there was no justice. And this is exactly the road that the county attorney chose to go down. Now, in just reviewing Minnesota's coroner medical examiner statute, it's the county attorney who conducts the the hearing on the inquest. So this guy is extremely powerful in in manipulating the evidence that ever gets before the grand jury. Hmm. 
So, so, and I've just just begun to look at the uh, at the Minnesota Medical Examiner Coroner Statute. Yeah, and it's a little it's a little kind of confusing um, when you read it after you're familiar with the Texas Medical Examiner Statute. And so, you know, until I can, you know, break it down a little more, it's in Texas, the medical examiner is a judge. In Minnesota, a judge conducts the inquest, but it's not clear that the judge is either the coroner or the medical examiner. But the person prosecuting the case is the county attorney. In Texas, the medical examiner is the judge and runs the inquest. It's the medical mm-hmm. examiner as the judge on the bench that questions the witnesses. Okay. Once he's, once he's completed questioning the witnesses, he will allow the attorney for the defendant to ask questions and present evidence. And the state uh, 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 officer is the county attorney of the county in which the death occurred. And the county attorney can ask questions of the, of the um, uh, witnesses, but only after the medical examiner slash judge questions first. So the medical examiner judge controls the whole process. Hmm. But that's not what goes on in Minnesota. So it's, it, from what I'm seeing in the statute, it allows a greater degree of manipulation by okay. the county attorney and law enforcement, which doesn't generally, you know, lend confidence to a system like that. Hmm. So, all right. With, With even the theory that Chauvin, though a participant didn't actually cause the death. You're saying that he stands a good chance of getting off in a few years with basically a slap on the wrist. Right, that, and, that's, and that's the worst he can get. That's the worst of it. That's not the least of it. That's the worst of it. Mm. He can only be convicted of... of com- uh, uh, complicity in the death of somebody through you know through violation of policy in an act that was that it was known or should have been known by any law enforcement officer that it was forbidden and dangerous though it did not ultimately lead to you know George Floyd's actual death so you can't be charged with any form of murder you know when you were not the proximate cause of the death. Got you. You were just a participant in setting up a situation that was inherently forbidden and and could have led to a death. But in this case, it did not lead to the death. It was the other officer who's never been named. None of I I, I haven't seen any of the officers. No, any of the other officers. No, they're they're very named. careful about keeping the names. Now, at the same time. This this creates a bit of a of a dilemma, and and potential problems for the state, 
because as this comes out, mm-hmm. um, Kevin could conceivably sue the county for, you know, and, and the city for slander and fraud in trying to make him the scapegoat when they clearly <laughs> knew or should have known that, yeah, now add that little puppy dog to the mix. So. And you want to make the public mad again? So no. Have Chavin win a million-dollar judgment against the city for slander. There you go. So although he would run the risk of losing his pension and lose and having some time behind bars, he, in the end, stands to gain a whole lot more potentially with well, being now, the scapegoat. Now what? Uh, yeah, but you got the cart in front of the horse. You see, as this unfolds before the trial, Chavin and his attorneys would bring you would would go after the state and thus train wreck the prosecution of him at the same time. Bush would get the murder charges and the manslaughter charges dismissed. And because the state acted in bad faith, a judge could prevent them from charging him again. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so you think this thing is a mess already, and it tells you the only way this thing could be a mess is if you is you have to have the state already maneuvering to cover up the death, the true cause of death. But you know, there there's so many things about this that just you know, Danny Danny Walker would always say it doesn't pass the smell test. And when, when, when you look at how the whole thing is playing out, some things just don't add up. You know, I, I came across one bit of information today that says, where, where somebody is saying, you know, they used, they, the two of them, Chauvin and, and Floyd, George Floyd, they worked together as security at a, at a nightclub. I don't know how true that is. I didn't look any further into that. But Jamaicans have a saying, a long time saying that says, hey, listen, if it doesn't go like that, it's something close to it. So right. here's, what I've, yeah, here's what I've read along those. And I kind of looked into that as far as you could, simply mm. on online reporting from different news organizations. Right. The club owner, it's a Latin club, the club owner says that they've employed Chavin for almost 20 years for security. Okay. At that club. Now, in the last year, George Floyd worked at the same club. The owner was not, could not swear that they worked together, you know, on the, yes, the same night in the same venue. Mm-hmm. But there was an interesting part of what the owner did say. This club has African-American nights where they play African-American music. Mm -hmm. And so the crowd is entirely different. Right. It's not Hispanic, 
you know, it's African-American. Right. They said, the owner said on those nights that if there was a altercation or a fight, that Chauvin, in the opinion of the, ho- of the club owner, way overreacted. Hmm. And would very quickly resort to pepper spray and actions against the patrons that, that the owner felt were out of line. So Boy. that sets up the propensity of, of Chauvin being a racist, that he, that he distinctly treats, you know, African-Americans different than, than Latin or any, or any other person. Right. And, and you see that, that smugness of him kneeling on Floyd's neck while Floyd pled and the, you know, for his life, and the bystanders pled with Chauvin to have some compassion, and yeah. you can see in his face, it's like that, that kid that everybody grew up knowing, that you say, hey, that's wrong, we shouldn't be doing this, and he would just look you straight in the face and go ahead and do it anyway. Right. With, with, a, with, with that look, just like Chauvin. Of like, huh, just because it's wrong doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, or I can't do it. Yeah. And and that was in to me that is probably the most disturbing aspect of the personality of Chauvin. And then when you find out that he's had some eighteen to twenty complaints against him, two shootings, and and one or more should have been prosecuted and weren't. Then you see, you see this officer become, you know, becoming more and more emboldened, yeah. and less constrained by common humanity and decency. Now, I hadn't looked into the the complaints, but were they racially? I don't know if you looked into them. No, and, and because they, they're not, they're not. From best I can tell, they're not public yet. Mm. They, you know, there are no reports that I can go online and pull. Just like I can't because right, I didn't see yet any read the autopsy report yet. Right. See, there are several things that I'm interested in that autopsy report. Like what? I'm also I was doing some online. You know, when you know when we set this up, I'm still trying to to get the curriculum vitae of the medical examiner who did the autopsy for the you know for Minnesota. Right. Because some of what I see her saying in the press conference mm-hmm. is is more than a little. I mean, it it is extremely disturbing, and so we need to talk about the first thing: cause of death. The medical okay. examiner said it was cardiac arrhythmia. So now, ninety nine percent of the of the listeners are going to say heart attack. Uh uh-uh. uh mm-hmm. no. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. You see, in the United States, nobody is dead until their heart stops beating. Right. And when your heart stops beating, medically, it's cardiac arrhythmia. So what the medical examiner is saying is that, that Floyd's heart stopped beating. And that caused his death. At some point, and that was cardiac arrhythmia. But that's not the purpose of a medical examiner. 
That's a doctor's report. That's what you call a medical cause of death. The state is interested in the manner of death. What event took place that ah. led to his heart stop beating? Okay. And you, so if you, you can be stabbed, shot, strangled, run over by a car, uh, suffocated, um, you know, uh, disemboweled. And all those causes of death will be cardiac arrhythmia. See the difference? Yeah. Cardiac arrhythmia in a death like this means nothing. But the medical examiners in this country in in-custody deaths, people who die at the hands of police, that's the first thing that pony they write out and present to the public. Oh, it's cardiac arrhythmia. Yeah, because they were quick to say that along with uh, other underlying medical conditions. Now, the average layperson should should know that you know underlying conditions are not cause of death. They may now, see they hide this. You you, yeah. you really? I mean, even if you you know you you are taught as a defense attorney, they you know you'll find no law school teaching you, you know, in criminal law that, oh, wait a minute, if the medical examiner says cause of death is cardiac arrhythmia, you say, well, you should treat that like somebody flushing the, co the commode in the next room. It has nothing to do with the issue in front of you in your room. Mm. Because that is a simple medical cause of death, and everybody, lest you be vaporized by an atom bomb, what we call it cardiac arrhythmia. And the only reason that being vaporized by an atom bomb isn't called cardiac arrhythmia because there's, you're vaporized. There's right. nothing. So you can't say anything other than, well, that person was vaporized. But anybody else, any other death is always cardiac arrhythmia. Because if you were stabbed, or even if you were decapitated, and they could pinch off the, the carotid arteries, and your heart kept beating, you would not be declared dead until your heart stopped beating. Cardiac arrhythmia. You see how nonsensical cardiac arrhythmia is to be mm. counted out in a death like this by a medical examiner? Yeah, but the average... most Again, oh yes, most and of the population. on the average person or the majority of the public and the defense bar to be ignorant to think, oh. And then they count out, oh, he's got hardening of the arteries, he's got the beginning of heart disease, and so everything with that, with that cause of death being cardiac arrhythmia, and then they throw these out, then you're saying, oh, well, you know, he had medical conditions, that's what killed him. You see, each level mm -hmm. that the medical examiner threw out there built on the perception that George Floyd was in poor health, yeah. had heart conditions, and that was ultimately, ultimately what led to his death. And that could not be further from the truth. You know, one, one of the things that I <laughs> found interesting is I, I came across a police officer, a Dallas police officer at that, stating certain things about how you restrain someone. One of them being how you would place them on on the ground when you manage to subdue them if they're if they're resisting and you get the handcuffs on them 
at that point, if they're going to remain on the ground, they're either sitting or placed on their side. Yes, you cannot leave them laying uh, face down. The reason being is, again, when you put your arms behind your back, it compresses your chest forward, which cuts down the volume of air available in your lungs to begin with. Mm-hmm. And if you, unless you are absolutely skinny and have a washboard stomach, your right. belly is going to, the, the ground is going to push your belly into your chest cavity, taking up the rest of the volume. And so it becomes harder and harder and harder to breathe right. until you suffocate. And if you're, and the bigger your belly is, the faster it happens. That's like, you know, all you have to do is got a, you know, got a, you know, a parent or somebody's got a little bit of a beer belly. Mm-hmm. Tell them to sit down in the chair and reach down to tie their shoes and breathe, and they can't do it because as you bend, you bend forward, it shoves the stomach into the chest cavity. As soon as you exhale, you cannot inhale again until you straighten up. Right. That's how easy it is. And, and I look at in-custody deaths, and I'm going to tell you, about 98% of in-custody deaths I see where they say tasers and this are actually compression suffocations. Hmm. This is, it's... and all law enforcement know this, and yeah. all medical examiners protect the officers that do this. It's funny. They that... have a whole litany of different... Um, uh, conditions that they will attribute to the death. Yeah, before mentioning anything re- even closely relating to positional asphyxiation. Right. See, Eric Gardner, who died in New York, the heavyset man that they yeah. jumped on his back. Yeah. Same thing. You have somebody on your back, they're pulling your arms behind your back to handcuff you while the other officer's on top of you. And he's a heavyset man with a big belly. Uh, man, he's using every last bit of oxygen compressed in his lungs to try to get the message across that you're suffocating me. Mm-hmm. With limited amount of air, you can't structure a sentence. You can, the only thing you can get out is, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Right. And by that last time, your lungs are, are now flattened. They're completely deflated. They cannot be reinflated again without help. Mm-hmm. And so what did the medical examiner do? Oh, he said, oh, yeah, cause of death is cardiac arrhythmia. He's got heart conditions. He's got this and he's got that. And then way down in the list is is positional asphyxia or compression. Mm. But it was so far on the list, nobody goes that far. Because you think... Right that the first things listed are the primary causes of death, and the further down the list you go, they get to be the minor and minor and minor and less and less and less. No, that is absolutely the other way around. And that's why Eric Gardner's death was covered up, and nobody paid for it. But all law enforcement in their training are warned about compression suffocation, mechanical suffocation, Fix, you know, positional suffocation. They all know it, but it is absolutely the primary tool for an angry officer who doesn't like somebody to kill them and get away with it. 
It is a license to kill, and officers use it all the time, and medical examiners cover that up. Yeah, because we see it all the time in, in, in quote-unquote, takedowns. And nobody ever is charged. And yet, all those officers are trained, never do this. You will kill the person. And, of course, it's this, it's, it's this, this history of, again and again and again and again, that has resulted is the cause, approximate cause, to what has gone on for the last couple of days around the country. Now, people think, you're told, oh, the FBI reviews all these in-custody deaths. Uh, yeah, no. Mm. Here's, what, here's what the FBI now does. 99% of the FBI's full-time is terrorism, drug trafficking. Right. When they, when they get a file from, they'll get a file from the, the law enforcement agency who investigated, you know, George Foley's death, and it will be stuck in a file and nobody will read it. You mean George it Floyd? It can be laced with lies and accuracies that, that a two-year-old would catch. Yeah. All of them being felony lies to the FBI, and it will never be read. It will never be acted upon, and life will go on, except for the for the person who died and their family, which their life will never be the same again. Now, something like this, outside of Eric Gardner, this this has been seen before. You and I, I remember you telling me about this in another. Uh, famous killing which which really blew my mind when you mentioned it um, with Trayvon correct Trayvon Martin died exactly the same thing Eric Garden died of compression suffocation you see I pulled I pulled you know immediately after Trayvon's death I immediately started pulling the records right and the met that what got my attention immediately, the reason I looked at that case so fast, was the name of the medical examiner who did the autopsy. I knew him. He came from Texas. Mm-hmm. And I had been watching him for some time. And I had no idea he was there. And so the very first thing I did is I pulled his file from the medical examiner's office, his employment application and history. He, he falsified his credentials to get the job. He lied on his forms. Right. That's why he was fired after, the, after his testimony. I know, because I was behind it. Mm-hmm. Now, but at the same time, I knew that he was being manipulated. But here's what the evidence shows. This is, this is the simple, straightforward, absolute facts. Everybody knows that Trayvon went to the, to the convenience store and was walking back to his dad's apartment Right. when George Zimmerman saw him. Now, George Zimmerman was in a particularly precarious situation that night. His wife had just left him. She moved out that day. 
because mm-hmm. of this this you know this drive of him to be some law enforcement wannabe you know stalking people in the complex right. she had enough of it she moved out so he had to that night he had to prove to her that he really was a force to be reckoned with as a you know as a quasi law enforcement officer right for that that uh, housing development that apartment condominium project so when he sees a black male walking well here it goes you might as well start playing the jaws music dun 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 he's yep. on the hunt right and so he pulls up as Trayvon moves across the parking area where where the cars can't go anymore Zimmerman parks his car and gets out. Well, Trayvon hears him, sees him, he's following him, and then parks and gets out. So Trayvon's about to make a right turn and go up between the two buildings towards his dad's apartment that is at the far, is, is down that sidewalk all the way to the end. Yeah. But this guy is coming up on him pretty quickly. So as soon as Trayvon makes the corner where Zimmerman can't see him, he runs and jumps in the bushes outside that first condominium. And, hides. and he hides from Zimmerman. And Zimmerman reaches that that you know that uh, that that hallway that that uh, the walkway uh, corridor between yeah. the two apartments on the sidewalk, and Trayvon's gone. And he knows, okay, he couldn't get away because he was too fast. He couldn't have run up and turned left in one of the breezeways. So he's got to be around there somewhere. So Zimmerman, with his flashlight, he goes looking for Trayvon, and he finds him hiding in the bushes outside that first condominium on the right. How do we know that? Because I have the witness, I have the statement of the of the husband and wife that lived there. That lived in that unit, yeah. Yeah, they were home. They were in the other room, in the living room, uh, watching TV. The window that goes outside to the, out, you know, to the porch and to the bushes where Trayvon was hiding is their kitchen dining area. And so the windows are open. It's a it's a nice you know it's a little cool, but in Florida you don't get very many of those. So it's a right. pleasant evening. Right. And a little drizzle, and so they have the windows open, and they hear the confrontation take place in their bushes outside their window. They hear the rustling in the bushes. They hear the the angry words, and then they hear footsteps running you know, out into the court, into the, into the common area, to the sidewalk. And it stops, and that's where it starts up again. Now, Zimmerman, once he, once he found Trayvon hiding in the bushes, shines that flashlight in his face, and you got a 16-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And Zimmerman goes, well, I can take him. <laughs> you, know, that's a, right. you know, we've learned, you know, since the Trayvon incident that Zimmerman's nothing but a big coward likes to throw his weight around. Literally. So, yes. Yeah, literally. And so, so with that, Zimmerman's going to take him. So when Trayvon runs, Zimmerman drops his flashlight. It's found right there in the bushes. And he chases him over to the sidewalk. They have a confrontation. Based on the evidence from the autopsy reports, Trayvon, after they had words face-to-face, Trayvon turned his back to walk away. They had to walk down the sidewalk to his dad's house. Yeah. Zimmerman grabbed him from behind in a bear hug. Now, 
Trayvon's arms are to his side, tipped into his side. Mm-hmm. So one question is, well, how did he how did he break Zimmerman's nose if he didn't if he couldn't punch him in the face? Because he head butted him. Right. With Trayvon's arms to the side, the only way he could defend himself is put his chin in, in his chest and then back head, you know, yeah. fling his head, his head backward back. right into Zimmerman's face. Right. And, of course, it almost knocked Zimmerman out. He went straight down on his tailbone, and he had heart on that cement. How do we know that? He discusses it at the trial. He tells the the, the attorney, the, the prosecutor and the defense attorney, that his, his tailbone is still sore. Well, hell yeah. You land on your butt, and you still have Trayvon in your in your grip. Mm-hmm. So that gives you extra weight taking you down. Right. Now, Zimmerman then lays back on his back. He's still holding on to Trayvon for all it's worth. And what does Trayvon do? He yeah, headbutts him again. Zimmerman turns to Zimmerman knows it's coming. Turns his head to the right. Trayvon headbutts him above, you know, above his ear and bounces his head off the cement. And and Trayvon's going to do it again. Zimmerman turns his head to the left and he gets bounced again. How do we know that? Because because Zimmerman's got knots <laughs> on both sides of his head and scratches on the other side where his head was bounced off bounced off, off the, the cement. cement. So. To protect himself, Zimmerman rolls over on top of Trayvon into the grass. Still in the bear hug, and now Trayvon's dead. Because as soon as Trayvon exhales, Zimmerman squeezing him, he will not be able to breathe again. And Zimmerman realizes when Trayvon goes limp that something's wrong. And so he gets off of him, rolls Trayvon over. He's not breathing. He's dead. Zimmerman panics, takes his gun, shoots Trayvon's dead body in the chest to come up with this self-defense. How do we know that? Trayvon's heart stopped beating. There's no blood pressure. So when he shoots him straight in the heart, there's no back spray from the, from the blood pressure in the heart and in the body. The blood just trickles out. Mm. No spray. Otherwise, Zimmerman would have been sprayed by blood. There, he wasn't, because Trayvon's heart had already stopped. You see it in the autopsy, because when you die with that kind of compression suffocation, the strong side of the heart can pump blood into the skull, into the brain, through the base of the skull. The weak side cannot pull it back. So every time your heart beats, the blood pressure in the brain, brain increases exponentially. And since it's coming in the base, it crushes the brain from the bottom to the top so that you end up with what they call severe outer global edema, swelling of the brain. Mm. All that noodling of your brain is compressed against the skull and flattened out. And that's what Trayvon has. Now, that couldn't have happened after he was shot because swelling and things don't happen when you're, dead. when you're dead and there's no no blood pumping and no blood pressure in order for the injury for fluids to to go out of the capillaries into the surrounding tissue that's swelling. Right. Because there is no extra fluid moving through the body. What's in the skull is there. No. And you see all the all the signs are there of Trayvon being shot. Now, then you have to look at what Zimmerman's wife says. 
Zimmerman's wife says that he carries his gun, like police officers do, behind his his back in mm-hmm. his waistband. Not up front, not on the side, but behind where police officers normally have their handcuffs clipped to their belt. Right. That's where Zimmerman's holster is. So if Trayvon's on top of him, having Zimmerman pinned down, punching him in the face, how does Zimmerman get to his gun? Right. He can't. The next evidence we have is if Zimmerman, if Trayvon is kneeling on top of Zimmerman, Trayvon's knees are in the grass. Mm-hmm. And he would have grass stains on both knees. Where all of his weight is and Zimmerman's struggling, so his knees are grinding into the grass. Right. But that's not the case. The grass stains on Trayvon's legs are between his knees and his waist. Where Zimmerman's weight is on his legs, and Trayvon is wiggling underneath him trying to get away as he's being suffocated. You know what? The his argument knees, is there. Yes. He's, that's where the pressure black. is, not yeah. on his knees. But the argument for that is he is, he is a black kid wearing sagging his pants. That's, that's, yeah, but that's there's the still argument no for that. grass stains on his knees. And there's no trauma to Trayvon's knuckles. And a kid that doesn't fight, there you punching go. a guy in the nose so hard that it breaks the nose, you know what? It's going to do some damage to your knuckles. It's going to bruise them. It's going to be obvious. Trayvon has no injury to his knuckles because right. his arms are pinned to the side. Now, the way that they manipulated this you know, the medical examiner is the medical examiner was not given a copy of Zimmerman's statement before he did the autopsy, which you have to do. Because what you do is you take Zimmerman's statement and in the autopsy say, well, I can prove or disprove this real fast. Right. But if, if, you're, not, if you're not doing that, then what does the medical examiner goes, okay, I've got a dead body here. What's, what's, how did he die? Don't know. What are the allegations? Don't know. So I just got to, you know, this is just like trying to put a puzzle together with no picture of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, I got all these pieces. Maybe I can make some head and or tails out of them. But if you get a few pieces wrong in putting the few pieces you have together, instead of, in, you, get instead a of image. you know, being a safari wildlife, you know, scenery, you know, you think it's the back end of, a, of an ass you know, on a ranch. Right. Entirely different, you know, picture can be, can be gained from the little pieces that you're able to put together. And this is exactly what they're doing in Floyd's case. So I would, I would bet you that that medical examiner did not have all the records. Yeah. And if she did, then... Because she needs to be fired and prosecuted because she she tampered with this this report with with intention of of preventing justice in my opinion based on what I've seen so far now there were two medical examiners that 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 looked on 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 George floyd that was uh michael. Baden and Baden. Mm-hmm. Alicia Wilson. Right. Now, I haven't been able to get, like I said, to find out where Lisa Wilson did her training, you know, in forensic pathology, because that's critical to know. Uh, because if it's here in Texas, she was taught 
only how to cover up a death. <laughs> that, that, that's what the, what the medical examiners treat, you know, the fellows, is how to cover up an autopsy, but, but uh, she, a death. She was, she, was one of, she was one of the two. She, the two of them were hired by the family. Well, Michael no, no, what, uh, and, and Alicia Wilson. Okay, now I believe Wilson is the, is the medical examiner for the county. Oh, okay. For, for the state. And Bodden was hired by the family. Now, I've dealt with Michael Bodden before. Right. Uh, when, I, when I consulted with the A&E TV special in the Rodney Reed case in 2014-15, Mm-hmm. You know, I when when A&E TV came to me, you know, I had the master, I have the master file in the Reed case, and they asked me if I would share it with them. I told them, sure, just you know, give me a call before you come to Texas, you know, so and I'll pull it out, pull the hard copies out of storage, and whatever you want to see, I'll share it with you. So when the producer came to the office, you know, I said, hey, you know, Steph, I've never, you know, I'm, you know, I've, I never asked you, you know, a question that I'm curious about. And I said, it doesn't make any difference how you answer it. I'm still going to open your file, my files to you. I'm just curious. Where are you going with this story? Are you trying to prove he's guilty, he's innocent, or it's just a good story and you don't care? Mm-hmm. It's, oh, no, 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 we want to prove he's innocent. We, we believe he's innocent. We want to prove it. And I said, that's what I wanted to hear. Here's a file I'd already put together for him. So take this file to any nationally renowned medical examiner of your choosing, and when they see this file, they're going to tell you to an absolute medical legal certainty that the victim died at the hands of her boyfriend in the town they lived in, 30 miles away from where Rodney lived, and the dead, the girl's dead body was brought to Bastrop County to stage to frame Reed. And the first, the first medical examiner they took the body to... Um, they, you know, the, the New York detective, Kevin Gannon, mm-hmm. and this medical examiner, they, they talked the file back and forth. I have the probably one of the only transcripts of that. It's never been seen other than by myself. Mm. And, and so when they, when they got it, the producer calls me and goes, Oh, my God, David, the medical examiner said exactly what you said he's going to say. Right. And I said, I tell him, I said, Now, tell you what you do. You have Kevin Gannon, who's the retired New York detective. City police detective, take that report and shove it up Rodney Reed's attorney's butt with the Innocence Project. Mm. I said, I've been trying to get that idiot to do this for eight, you know, at that time for 15 years, and he refused to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I asked Steph, do you know Michael Bodden? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, we've done stories with him, and he's a friend. I said, would he look at this case? He says, oh, yeah, we asked him to. He would. Why do you want Michael Bond to do it? I said, well, Michael Bond is one of the foremost chief you know, medical examiners in the country. Right. If not the world. And he has challenged the Travis County medical examiner before here in Texas over time of death. That was in the Michael Morton case. Mm-hmm. Same medical examiner, same wrong cause of death, same result. You know, an innocent person going to prison. Right. And Michael Bodden, you know, did the second autopsy, you know, reviewed the autopsy, wrote the report, calling the Travis County Chief Medical Examiner an idiot on time of death, in essence. There you go. 
And that led to that and other things led to the defendant who'd been in prison for 26 years on the murder of his wife being released. Now, fast forward a few years, here's Michael Button being called right, up again. Yes, you're right. Fast forward a couple of more years, now here with Rodney Reed, and you've got the same problem. Mm-hmm. Time of death is what, you know, is is primarily what puts Rodney in prison on death row. Right. And so when Bodden looks at it, he goes, this girl died at the hands of her boyfriend the night before, and her dead body was transported to Bastrop to a medical legal, legal absolute certainty. And now every nationally renowned medical examiner, and there are four now, the best of the best mm-hmm. nationwide, all of had looked at the file and said the same thing. Yep. Because I presi- provided them what they needed to see which most medical examiners never get to see. And this is the way the state manipulates the findings of autopsy reports. Hence the reason you said at the, at the beginning of this show that the ME did not get all the information prior to the autopsy. Either, either if she didn't, then she's corrupt, and it wouldn't matter, you know, how much evidence that George Flynn was murdered by police. She would still claim it was cardiac arrhythmia and the police had nothing to do with his death because he has this problem, that problem, and the other. Right. But you now, see, we have another problem before we get there. What's that? You see, we have a problem with, after uh, uh, Floyd's death, we have a problem with chain of custody on his body. See, we just, you know, I just saw a new video, a, a, a cell phone video showing the ambulance arriving and George Floyd's body being picked up. Okay, hold on. carted away. Hold on. You will, you will hear this playing in the background. Let me, let me play an excerpt from the whole uh, Sure, sure. We'll discuss it after you play you. the excerpt. And uh, uh, this, is, this is 30 seconds, and this is where the quote-unquote EMT shows up and loads George Floyd onto the gurney and into the ambulance. Okay. They just dragging him like, come yeah, on now. And I have your name tag. That's not very professional. It don't matter. So what? Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, folks. Don't, don't touch him. Don't touch I got this all on camera. Watch out. Don't touch me. Don't, don't you touched you touch him. him. You went to him. So shut up. You went to him. Y'all always trying to start something. Don't ever touch me, bro. I ain't said a word. Have a nice day. Have a bogey, bro. You feel me? No. For those of you looking on, you might have missed it. And I say you might have missed it because, in fact, Dave, I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. Now, just so to make it clear to the audience, I could hear nothing about that on my Okay. So I don't know what was said, but I have seen the video uh, that was shot by a person standing there when they picked up the body. Right. Now... We have to, we have to, because y'all are all going to see this, you know, in the coming days and weeks of the loading of this body, of Floyd's body. 
Now, one of the things you're going to see while while Chauvin is kneeling on on Floyd's neck, you have an officer standing there, mm-hmm. just standing around, not trying to get Chauvin to back off. He's just standing there. Right. This officer is not just anybody. This Asian officer is Chauvin's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Chauvin is married to this Asian guy's sister. Now, she just filed for divorce here the other day. Right. She's leaving Chauvin. So, so we've got the, got the stage set. Now, Chauvin did this whole time that the people are trying to, to tell Chauvin, do something, get your, neck, your knee off his neck, he can't breathe, do something. Well, this Asian officer is doing nothing to interfere in the blocking of these people from videoing this. Right. He's standing out of the way. But when the ambulance arrives, this yep. guy is trying to block the people with the cell phone from recording this. Now, when the EMS back doors open, EMS people don't jump out. Sheriff deputies do. In the their bulletproof vests, yeah. in their, in their, with their guns and holsters and every all the accoutrements on, they bring the gurney, they flatten it out next to, to Floyd's body, they grab mm-hmm. it, they roll him over on his back on the gurney. I mean, he is dead, limp as a rag doll, raise it up, throw it in the back of the truck, they all jump in, and boom, they're gone. Now, this is a problem. So this guy is not EMT. These guys in the They're brown in the brown uniforms. They're not EMT. They are not. They are sheriff deputies. Sheriff deputies do not have jurisdiction in cities where the police department or the on, the law enforcement agents. Now, in 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 states like this, like Minnesota, mm-hmm. I would. Uh, I would venture to guess, as, as most states I've seen, it's the same way. The sheriff deputies have authority in cities if the state's offices are there, like the capital, you know, city of Minnesota, where the Capitol building and the Supreme Court buildings and and the state agencies are housed. Right. The sheriff, the sheriff department of the county, maintains the you know, the sole authority over any act, you know, activities on the state property. Okay. Not law enforcement. Now, law enforcement, the police department has co-jurisdiction in some respects, but the sheriffs are primarily the officer of authority for state buildings in cities. But this is not a state building or a state area that Floyd's body is, and thus the sheriff's department has absolutely no authority to come in and pick up that body, and so doing breaks chain of custody, and now we've got a problem. Hmm. And I've talked to the local media about this. They're they're starting they're starting to pull the 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 records. I talked to them this afternoon. You need to from that cell phone video. Need to note the time that it was filmed when they picked up that body and threw it on that gurney and threw it in the back of that ambulance and sped off, and count the minutes 
it took until that body arrived at the hospital was legally on camera received in. Because the tampering with that body could be phenomenal. As far as the, in, the, the, the injection of drugs into a system, mm-hmm. you see, even a dead person, you take a needle, inject fentanyl, do CPR for a couple of minutes, move the blood around the body and disperse it, and then the medical examiner comes in and pulls a, a blood sample, and guess what? Oh, man, they got toxic levels of fentanyl. Hmm. And you see, the, the sheriff's department had no authority to do this. Now, in the very beginning, we had it reported the hospital, they, they, they put out, the county attorney and the officials put out that, that George Foley was declared dead at the hospital. No, he wasn't. Foley was dead at the crime scene. And and that 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 has ramifications. Well, today, you know, they're, the medical examiner is kind of you know acknowledging that that George was probably dead at the crime scene. Yeah, no, probably to it, he was. Right. And so, you know, until we can see the autopsy report, I need to see the autopsy report. And look, start looking for the artifacts of tampering and the true causes of death. I've looked at, oh, thousands of autopsy reports. My files are, you know, are littered with autopsy reports. Mm-hmm. And so I know exactly what to look for in a case like this to determine if the medical examiner is telling the truth or not. And you see, so you have, now we have a video showing... The Sheriff's Department, anytime you see a law enforcement officer in the, those tan khaki-colored uniform, yeah. it doesn't matter which state it is, those are, those are sheriff deputies. Because Sheriff the, deputies across the United States have the same color uniform, the regardless EMS, of what county. Hmm? The EMS has a, a similar uniform. Tan? No. EMS has dark-colored like law enforcement. In Minnesota, I don't know in I Minnesota, mean, um, but I but I tell you, those are law enforcement officers. Those are not yeah. EMS. Those are law enforcement. Well, officers. Well, they are wearing. Um, this guy is wearing a vest. Yes, and he's got his gun on his holster. He's got you know his other things on the holster. He had. They have no. You see, EMS when they arrive at a scene, EMS is not allowed to move a body from a crime scene that's dead. To move a body to crime scene, you have to establish a pulse first. Did you see anybody mm-hmm. take a pulse? No. And they yeah. didn't do CPR either with they an unresponsive body. They just threw EMS his body on that gurney and, and moved took off. Yes. Yes. That's as fast as I've ever seen. That was, I mean, you know, that was like uh, a bank heist where the armored car company arrives and the officer falls down. So EMS arrives and the officer's laying on the ground. And the, and the so-called EMS people grab all the, you know, the bundles of money, the bags of money, mm-hmm. you know, and throw that on the gurney and, and 
put a blanket over it like they've got a body and load it up and take off. <laughs> it's like the great bank robbery. And that's pretty much what they did here. They absconded with the goods for, you know, Floyd's body. And I'm going to tell you, that is red flags everywhere. And you see, the police, mm. they had to know. They had to have earwigs on and know that this was coming. Because none of them said, wait a minute, who the hell are you? But they knew. They already knew. So they had to be, you know, they had to have their mics on, and there had to have been chatter going on. Hmm. Hopefully, you know, somebody pulls the tapes. And I, and I'll, I need to say this, because, you know, it needs to be said. The law firm that represents Floyd's family is the Crump Law Firm. Right. You know where we've seen them before? <laughs> Trayvon Martin. A few places. Yes. Bodum Sheen out of Dallas, where the Dallas police officer shot him in his own apartment. Yes. Do you see Crump win any money for, the, for uh, Trayvon Martin's family? Nope. Did you see them win any money... For the Bodum Sheen family? Nope. There's a reason. The Crump Law Firm is what I call a boilerplate law firm. They look for cases that have insurance. And they try to pressure the insurance companies into selling, settling with them. Did you, have you ever seen an investigator with the Crump Law Firm on any of their cases? Can't say that I have. Yes. And unless you have an investigator, then the law firm doesn't know if anybody's lying to them or not. Whether the state's telling them the truth, the medical examiner, they nothing. The most I've ever seen them do is bring in today, you know, here in the Floyd case, to bring in Michael Bodden. But again, Michael Bodden's reports are only as good as the information they can give him before he does the autopsy. Right. You know, Michael Bodden isn't, you know, doesn't have clairvoyance and see into the future and the past and know what happened without, without documents to show him. Mm-hmm. And you see, we see this, again, back to the Trayvon Martin case. What I've told you is Trayvon, you know, died of suffocation, and Zimmerman shot his dead body to fake the... The attack. The, the assault, the claim self-defense. Right. So did the state know about this scheme? Did Zimmerman's attorneys know about this scheme? Absolutely. And you saw it in the trial, right in the very beginning. On the first day, you have the detective who interviewed Zimmerman on the stand. The state's attorney general questioned him. Mm-hmm. And then... Zimmerman's attorney questioned him. And one of the first things out of Zimmerman's attorney's mouth is, Detective, isn't it true that y'all found a shank in the bushes where Trayvon Martin was hiding? Ding, 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 ding. Wait a minute. Where in any report did you hear that Trayvon Martin hid from Zimmerman and Zimmerman went and found Trayvon Martin? Right. Because if Trayvon hid from Zimmerman, this isn't a self-defense case. This is a murder case against Zimmerman. 
Yeah, because he would have to have been looking for him. That's right. You, in fact, went stalking him, and 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 uh, uh, put him under custody without authority, and mm-hmm. killed him. And that's on you. Now, so the you know the detective answers, and then on redirect. The state's attorney gets up there and he says, Detective, isn't it true that that shank that the defense questioned about found in the bushes where Trayvon was hiding? Here's the defense. I mean, here's the state acknowledging mm-hmm. they were aware that Trayvon hid from Zimmerman. Right. That it wasn't a shank. It was a part of the metal trim awning when the people 10 years earlier had screened in their porch by the bushes, by the hedge. Mm-hmm. And a part of the metal trim fell down in the bushes where it had been for the 10 years. But both sides acknowledged that Trayvon right then and was there hiding. that they were aware that Trayvon hid from Zimmerman. Zimmerman's fast light was found in the bushes. It was Zimmerman that went looking for Trayvon. Trayvon didn't come out and accost Zimmerman. And this is the game that, that the state plays when you are protecting somebody who's law enforcement or quasi-law enforcement, you know, like Zimmerman was, you know, pretending to be a cop, but he was a more or less security guard with the complex. But it, it goes so even the further state than protected that. Him. Hmm? It goes even further than that because it, it now becomes an issue of black and white because this seems to always be oh, happening yeah. with people of color versus Caucasians. Oh, absolutely. The, the race came. Race absolutely came into play here, and and the state, you you know, it made everybody think that the state was out to prosecute Zimmerman. Oh yeah, they brought the charges mm-hmm. that Zimmerman was going to beat, and then they did this dance. Now look at look. You had you had all of the major news organizations covering this trial. Right. Every day at at lunch break. The different TV stations brought in their consultants to discuss what just went on. Mm-hmm. You had Chris Van Zant, the ex-FBI criminalist, every day walking you through all aspects of this trial, and not one time did he focus on any of this. Did he say, wait a minute, did I just hear that correctly? The 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 defense acknowledged that that Trayvon hid from Zimmerman, and Zimmerman flushed him out? Because that's no longer a self-defense case. Mm-hmm. And the state, did I hear this again? The state acknowledged they knew that, that Trayvon hid from Zimmerman, and Zimmerman sought him out? And so what, what the hell's going on here? No. Right. And yet this is, this, this is your, great, your great FBI criminalist that you see on all of these cases over and over. You're going to see before the George Floyd case is over, you're going to see some news organization, NBC, ABC, 2020, you know, 48 Hours. All of them. Somebody's going to bring in Chris Van Zant to look over this case. And you know what he's going to find? Nothing. <laughs> because it's that's the, a part of the dance, right? Huh? That's a part of the routine. Um, that's right. It, it's a dance. You see, and everybody knows the dance move except the public. 
So, and all it is is a dance. It's it's theater. It and it, it has a predetermined conclusion. It's just that the timelines may be a little bit different. But oh yeah, oh yeah. There there are nuances, and you know uh, that different. Uh, you know that are are going to be handled differently from one case to another. But you are you've already seen the die. You've seen the dice cast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you had a sheriff's deputies run in and abscond with his body. No medical attention. They know he's dead. Right. And that is absolutely, you know, dead, dead. D-A, you know, D-E-A-D, dead. Mm-hmm. They knew it. And yet they said, oh, he was pronounced dead at the hospital. At the hospital. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't. And then you've got the state's attorney saying, oh, Chauvin is guilty of third-degree murder or manslaughter. Well, why? Well, let me tell you something. That is a gigantic difference. It's like way between night and day. And yet, Chauvin is not the one who, who, who killed him. Was the approximate cause of the death that was behind the car, and and the state's attorney didn't say, "Oh, you know, we have another officer that we have to look at." You know, it's it's a you know we're we're investigating to see which one of these two officers actually killed him. But oh no, there was none of that. Hmm. None of that, and then you had the. The medical examiner do the autopsy and see what a what a competent medical examiner will tell you is we've done the autopsy we have you know a an asphyxia death and there one of two officers is the approximate cause of this asphyxia death but based on the evidence and the videos, crime scene videos, Chauvin is not the officer that is the proximate cause of Floyd's death. It is Officer B with his knee in his back. Right. Now, a competent medical examiner will tell you that because it's the purpose of the medical examiner is to determine. Now, first of all, we have to do, we've talked cause of death. Now we have to deal with manner of death manner mm. of death is the medical legal death what what event took place that ultimately led to the decedent's heart stop beating which is cardiac arrhythmia that's listed right. in the cause of death now this this medical examiner from Minnesota declared the death was a homicide and she says oh but wait a minute don't don't go thinking that means somebody committed a crime. No. What <laughs> homicide means is that a person was responsible for the for actions that led to Floyd's heart stop beating. What were those actions? Yes, there you go. Now, the purpose of an autopsy and a medical examiner in a coroner is determine who the person was that committed the homicide that did the action that led to Zimmer, to Floyd's heart stop beating. Mm-hmm. But but you see, the medical examiner in Minnesota falls short on that, doesn't she? Right. 
because you say, oh, well, the, 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 the cause of death is cardiac arrhythmia, the manner of death is a homicide, but that doesn't mean that Chauvin is guilty of a crime. Well, Chauvin's not guilty of the crime of homicide, but the other officer is, but she doesn't even list that officer. The purpose of the autopsy report is to give law enforcement a target to investigate, research, and bring a charge against. But she didn't do it, did she? Mm-mm. Not. <laughs> That's and, and there, not and there no, is a gotcha, gotcha. Is, you got it. And therein lies the problem. We've got a cover-up. Now, I don't, I need to see Bodden's autopsy report as well. Because only once I see Bodden's autopsy report can I tell what information was given to him. And, mm. and, and my belief is very little. Well, I'd be willing to put money on it that Bodden didn't get to see the other two officers' involvement. Now, I've talked to a news organization in Minnesota earlier today mm-hmm. and told them they need to take that video of those other two officers and present it to Crump and Bodden. And I bet you Bodden changes in direction in who's responsible for, for Floyd's death, not Chauvin, but the unnamed officer, the middle officer. Yeah, because the the it seems like they brought in Baden to prove that it wasn't it wasn't any other underlying thing that caused the death. Any uh p- potential intoxicants, no underlying health condition, nothing like that. Well, l- l- uh, more course, that um, than to prove that one of the officers or a combination of the officers' acts caused the death. The purpose for Baden's autopsy is to act as a gatekeeper to keep the the medical examiner honest, and that doesn't appear to be the case here. Hmm. Because Baden can only do that if you give him the proper information. All the information. information. Yeah. See, and, and, I, and I know this. You see, when I gave Baden the file in the Rodney Reed case, yes, I didn't give him all of it. And because I didn't give him all of it, he's made some errors, some striking errors, but not on time of death. Right. And that's all that I was, that's all that... I wanted him to do. And see, I've dealt with medical examiners for near 20 years. And you need, if you're going to have to, if you're going to ask a medical examiner to look at an autopsy report for free, you don't throw everything at them at the kitchen sink because their eyes will glaze open. They go, I'm not going to spend the next 36 days pouring through all of this stuff to make a determination. Right. So you have to give them concisely what's at issue. In the Rodney Reed case, they, they, as complicated as the Reed case is, it's very simple. It's, it's as simple as time of death. Right. If the girl died before midnight, she died at the hands of her cop boyfriend. 
if she died, you know, after 3 a.m., then the evidence suggests that, you know, the defendant Reed killed her. But the autopsy is so conclusive, the evidence, that she died the evening of the day before, which happened to be the one-year anniversary to the day the cop met his fiancée. So she died on her anniversary day, which tells you pretty much who the killer is right right there. But the floorboard of the truck that she would have driven to Bastrop, the floorboard on the passenger side is just covered in bodily fluid discharges from her mouth and her nose mm-hmm. that are decompositional that don't start until three, four, five hours after death. Hmm. And yet, she when she, she would have arrived in Bastrop at 3.30 a.m., the truck is found in the high school parking lot at 5.30 a.m., so the maximum amount of time that Reed, if he was the killer, could have been, you know, in in possession of her or her body was two hours, and you don't get this type of, of decompositional body discharges in two hours. So that means that this girl had died many hours earlier, and her dead body was put on the floorboard of the truck until it was brought to Bastrop to stage to, to stage the crime scene. Right. And all this time, she's on the floorboard of the truck, and decomposition is beginning to set in in her lungs, and so fluids are beginning to build up and purge out of her Mm. mouth and nose. And so this is concise. Now, what did I withhold from Baden and the other medical examiners? This girl's got five places that she's got third-degree or better burns on her body. They have never been addressed. Well, I know what caused them. I have the documents. I know exactly what caused them. But I never presented that because it's irrelevant to the time of death. Now, what, does it double down on on the evidence that acquits Rodney? Absolutely. Mm. It just drives the state deeper into the cop fiancés, you know, art. But right. time of death is conclusive that he killed her. Right. And because I didn't give this to them... Baden, Kevin Gannon, all these other forensic people who looked at the case are making comments that are not correct. Hmm. The comment that is is so wrong for both Baden and for for Gannon. Kevin Gannon is they both say that the victim, Stacy, was face down for several hours after her death. No, she was never face down. Not ever. After her death. Because <clears throat> there are no compression the marks. Hmm? There are no compression marks on her there, face. There are no compression marks on her face side that where she would have been face down, where the blood would have congealed and leave compression marks, because she's never been face down. Now, that leaves an anomaly. But I know what causes that, what caused that anomaly. What also what Kevin Gannon and Baden do not know is that the crime scene was staged by a Texas Ranger and two police detectives. Right. So you had professionals staging the crime scene. And unless the medical examiner knows that, it screws up their autopsies right. and their findings. <laughs> Hence, and this, this speaks to why information 
being given to the medical examiner is important. And, and this also helps to frame the whole idea of cover-up. Because right, or, 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 mis, or, or misreading the evidence. Or misreading if you the don't evidence. Have the, if you don't have the full picture, right. you know, again, you can look at a few pieces of a puzzle and go, oh, you know, that's a safari scene when it's not. It's a ranch scene. You see, and mm-hmm. those are two different places on two different sides of the world. Issues. Right, right. So it is that simple. Until you, until you have the key evidence that you need... You can't do an autopsy and come to a, to a proper conclusion, like with Baden and with this medical examiner in George Floyd. I, I will just bet you neither one of them got to see the other two officers on George Floyd's body behind the patrol car. Had they had, it would have been an epiphany like it was to me when I saw that first picture, and I go, oh. Something's up. Chauvin's not the killer. There's the killer right there. In all his glory. And then, seeing that sheriff deputy's absconded with the body, now, good God almighty, you've got to go over that body with a fine-tooth comb and look for needle marks. Because you can't trust the toxicology now. Mm. And see, we have here in Austin, Texas, a George Floyd death gentleman by the name of Rodney Paul Wickware, who was was taken into custody by police in Austin in 98. Right. The officers kneeled on his neck until the witnesses, they heard a crack, and Mr. Wickware went limp. Now, he was rushed to the hospital here in Austin. He's still out of heartbeat and a pulse. They put him on life support. He was under a doctor's care at the hospital for about 9 to 12 hours until his heart stopped beating, cardiac arrhythmia. Right. The hospital doctor wrote the death certificate. Put on that death certificate, and I have a copy of it, that, that Wickler died of anoxic brain injury, lack of oxygen to the brain. Mm. The autopsy report shows his his larynx is crushed, his hyoid bone is fractured. I mean, he, he completely collapsed his, his trachea. Thus, that kneeling on the neck cut off the airflow and suffocated Wickware. Now, here's where here's where the you know law enforcement and the medical examiner comes in. The medical examiner and law enforcement find a resident physician that's doing a residency at the hospital, is not a doctor, has no medical license, and may not even have a residency license. Because they didn't have a residency license when I looked at this thing in 2007. Yet that resident wrote a report to the medical examiner, to law enforcement, stating that the hospital was treating Mr. Rickware for the ingestion of antifreeze. Mm-hmm. And so the medical examiner puts on the finding in the autopsy report that Mr. Wickler died of antifreeze poisoning. 
But the toxicology report with the autopsy report says no antifreeze in the system. Mm. So how then did he die of? And well, where would they have writes, gotten? She puts wait. on the she puts on the death certificate. He dies. He dies of, you know, uh, uh, ethylene glycol poisoning. Where would he have gotten it? Had he because he's well, in ethylene the glycol is. Yeah, yeah, you see, it's antifreeze, so it's pretty plentiful back in '98. But the deal is, Wickware was at work all day. It just got off work. Got home is around ten. Called his girlfriend from his apartment. His apartment is half a is not half a block from the Whataburger. That he so he's talking to his girlfriend, talking about getting together and doing things. You know that night, right? And she's got to do something, so she's got to hang up real quick to take care of something she's got to do. And he tells her, "Well, I'm going to walk up to the Jack and the or to the Whataburger and get me a burger. I'll be back in you know ten minutes or so." Well, when he crosses the hot, the the road, which mm-hmm. is North Lamar in Austin, well, the Whataburger is right across the street from the Department of Public Safety, the state's big law enforcement crime lab offices. And there's a patrol officer just parked in the parking lot at the Whataburger. Well, when he sees this black guy, this is a very white area town in Austin. He crosses the street. The officer, you know, gets out and confronts him. Two other officers are, are on their way to the Whataburger to have a coffee. And so they see, as they turn to go into the parking lot, they see the patrol officer talking to Wickware, and Wickware is leaning up against the patrol car. The patrol car's overhead lights are not on, you know, which means this is not an arrest. Right. And as soon as those two officers pull into the parking lot and pull behind the officer who's talking to Wickware, he well, he jumps on Wickware and takes him down. So those officers think, oh, you know, he's resisting arrest, and they run in, and they kneel on his neck and kill him. But you see, Wickware hadn't been off work but like 30, 45 minutes, has been on the phone with his girlfriend, has just walked up to get a hamburger. When did he ingest the antifreeze? That's what I'm saying. Antifreeze can take three days to kill you. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yes. It's a it's a slow process. What happens is your body cannot fully break down ethylene glycol, which is the active ingredient in alcohol. Okay. And so what happens is the body starts trying to break it down. It in the metabolizing it turns the ethylene glycol into a couple of different forms of acid. And that acidifies the bloodstream, and then this then causes damage to the organs, and it can take, like I said, three days to kill you. Okay. But Wickware was supposed to have somehow consumed it, and 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 you feel the you know the pains, you know, of the alcohol poison, the ethylene glycol poisoning. And so it's not three days, you're just fine and dandy, and all of a sudden you drop dead. And what it leaves is all these artifacts. You have your blood is acid, you have uh, uh, damage to the organs, you have oxalate crystals forming, you know, from the, from the metabolism, 
you know, breakdown of the of the ethylene glycol that can't be fully broke down. So there's artifacts all through the body. Well, the first none thing... None of this was evident. Yes, none of it. There was no evidence of any of it. The uh, And the first thing the hospital does when you arrive at the emergency room is do a blood screen real quick. Well, man, bells and whistles would have gone off instantly because Wickware's blood would have been acid. Right, so they would have started treating him. And they would have showed up, and they would have known real quick what the problem was, and they would have started treating him for ethylene glycol ingestion. But they didn't, because his blood wasn't acid. So, how is it that nobody heard of Rodney Paul Rickware? Because nobody, they, they covered it up in 2007 a friend, a girlfriend of Wickware's, contacted me and asked me to look at the case. About the same time as the black female officer who was involved in the takedown of Wickware and his crushed windpipe became was named the Actrum Interim Austin, Texas Police Chief. Hmm. And then I can, at that time, I consulted for the African ministers. They were disturbed about this woman becoming the police chief, the permanent police chief, because they didn't trust her. So when mm. they found out I was looking at this case, they asked me to, to uh, report back to them what the findings were. Mm. And I talked to the family, uh, pulled all the records, have all the files, the witness statements, all the officers' statements, all of it. And it's all BS. And then I told the family, there's nothing I can do about it at this time because, you know, you have to find a news organization that will take the time to do the research. And 2007, they were off looking. There were other in-custody death cases that I was looking at. Right. This, one, this one's eight, nine years old. <laughs> they're not going <clears> to <throat> look at it. But when George Floyd's case came out and I saw it, Immediately I go, oh, quickware. So I pulled out the files and notified the local news, and they're like, oh, my God, yeah, we're interested. Because Austin has their own version of Wickware, only this one's complete. And so while, while uh, Floyd's case is in limbo, while they're putting together the grand jury and the, and the investigation is ongoing, you know, now that the the rioting has stopped, the case mm -hmm. is going to kind of go quiet, which is a perfect time to pull out a local one that's completed so you can see how the state covers these, these in-custody deaths of, of people of color, how far the law enforcement goes with the medical examiners to to paper over well, a this, murder. Well, this opens up a whole new set of doors because now it's another look at Sandra Bland. Yes, and who died in, you know, at the hands of police indirectly. And I did the research on Sandra Bland and provided the documents to the attorneys. The only reason the Bland family got that $1.9 is because I shared my files with the Texas attorney for the Bland estate. Right. The Chicago attorney was what I call a peacock attorney, no investigative staff, nothing, much like what I see in the Crump law firm. 
Mm. When I came into this thing, when I finally, you know, when they found out about me was December of 2015 when I did the first two-hour special, like, you know, radio, internet radio uh, interview, like we're doing right. with Donnie Walker in Texas. Yeah. And I went over the two hours and brought down what the records were in the Sandra Bland case. Sandra Bland died of an epileptic seizure in a hospital in Houston. Her dead body was brought back to the jail to stage the hanging. And they were all of that because they didn't give her any medication for her epilepsy while she was at the jail on the third day she had a seizure. Okay, that was her. a question I was going to ask. No, why bother bringing back the body to stage uh, a death if they had, to, had they couldn't hospital. They couldn't let it be known that the doctors refused to treat her. Do you know why they refused to see that jail has their own jail doctor and nurse? Because she didn't have any money to pay them. That she didn't have any money. That doctor and nurse charge a $40 cell call. And you've got to have them, you have to have a commissary account with the money in the account that they can access <laughs> or they will not treat you. Now that is absolutely forbidden by federal law. But the Ranger report you got copies of, they lied their butts off to the FBI. But the FBI, they don't investigate these. They just do it in the file and never looked at it. Right. Now, the five-year the the five anniversary of Sandra Bland's death comes back this July 13th. And this is all likely to come out then, if not before, as part of the fallout of the George Floyd case. Yeah, looking so, at other in-custody deaths. And and this is what I'm saying. You know, th this really opens up some more doors. Right. It, it opens know. a lot of them. There, I have multiple in-custody deaths that are like this. Just in Austin and in the Austin area, I have another individual that was in uh, 2000, what was that, 11, 12, that was supposed to have swallowed a, a, a something while they were, you know, while they were, you know, doing an investigation, so they arrested him. They took him to the jail, they did all the booking, and then they, in, in the little town in Bastrop County, then they drove him to the sheriff's department. Well, before he gets to the sheriff's department, he uh, allegedly goes into seizures and dies. So they take him to the Travis County Medical Examiner's Office, and the next day they do an autopsy. And they're saying, oh, he ingested cocaine. Mm. And the levels of cocaine in the system you know, or or way over the, the fatal limit. Yeah, you know what the problem with that toxicology report is? It came out two days after his death when they ran the test, but he has 100% raw cocaine in his blood. You two see, days cocaine later? Is an odd, uh, cocaine's an odd drug. It has a, a half-life in the body, in the bloodstream, of 30 minutes. So 30 minutes after this guy was to have swallowed this overdose of drugs, half the half the, the drug in his bloodstream would be metabolite and half would be cocaine. After an hour after his, you know, he was taken into custody, it 75% of the cocaine in his blood would be metabolite and only 25% would be raw cocaine. At an hour and a half, or at two hours, it would be 12.5% raw cocaine, 87.5% metabolite. Now, it doesn't matter if you're dead. 
the cocaine continues to metabolize every thirty, metabolize every 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if the blood has been drawn and the preservative put in it and it's put in the refrigerator. It will still continue to metabolize hmm. in half every 30 minutes. So the blood wasn't put into the machine to test it until two days. That's and it's 100% any. raw cocaine, which means the cocaine was put into the drug, into the blood vial that was put into the machine and run at the exact same second. Which means there was no cocaine. And this is the same medical examiner's office that claimed Rodney Paul Wickware ingested antifreeze. But isn't isn't that the same uh, medical examiner medical examiner's, medical office, examiner's that office did Rodney Reed? That did Rodney Reed, and and what's interesting about that is they are the the medical examiners are falsifying the toxicology report in Wickware's case two months before the chief medical examiner testifies in the Reed case. And they tamper with the victim's toxicology in the Reed case exactly the same way they tampered with the the toxicology in the Wickware case. But Rickware, that case hasn't been made public yet. Not yet. This, That's is, coming. this is where we come in. <laughs> right. And now you've got Rodney was represented for... 18 years by Barry Sheck's Innocence Project lead attorney, right? Bryce Benjet. Who is no longer there. And I brought this to Bryce Benjet's attention 18 years ago. And to this day, they have never filed any briefs over the medical examiner's office tampering with the autopsy and toxicology reports on numerous deaths, including the death of the victim in Rodney Reed's case. You know, and that alone would, and that alone would get him a new trial. I was, I was talking to some young adults yesterday, as they went to join the protest in Broad County, and I asked them, "What are you protesting about?" And they immediately went to police brutality and the injustices against uh, Black Americans and people of color and. And I'm like, you know, it's all good and well for you to be vocal about that. But that's only a part of the problem. If you're not looking at a bigger picture, the corruption in the justice system or how the injustice system operates across the board, from um, arrests to prosecution, we look at criminal justice reform, we look at in incarceration. If we're not looking at the whole picture, if we're not looking at schools, if we're not looking at communities, if we're not looking at, at medical care, then we're not doing due justice. In, in going out there and protesting. Correct. We're just you making to, noise. You're right. You have to arm yourself with knowledge so that you pro, you're protesting with the facts. Yeah. Knowing the facts. If you don't have the facts, you're just out there protesting, this is injustice. What's injustice? Right. All of it. All of what? Well, all of everything. Yeah. Well, for instance... 
well, the murder of George Floyd. Where do you, what evidence do you have that he was murdered? Well, it's obvious to everybody. You yeah. see, it's this guy was kneeling on his neck. Nowhere. Hmm? This guy was kneeling right. on his neck, and, yes, he, and but, he said he couldn't but breathe. Floyd was still, and you had law enforcement say, "How could he be being suffocated? He's talking." Well, yeah, well, yes, that's true. Yeah, but he's he's talking. He's getting those words out using the last bit of oxygen that's less compressed in his lungs, and when that's over, he's suffocated. Yeah. Now, the, the medical examiner of Minnesota said that it's not traumatic asphyxiation. My butt! <laughs> Kneeling on somebody in somebody's back so they can't take a breath is traumatic asphyxiation in its very raw definition. Yeah. And so this tells you, this, this, I, need to, I have to, you know, after this call's over, you know, tonight I'm going to be doing the research and I'm going to find her curriculum vitae. And where she went to, you know, where she went to medical school, where she did her, her training in pathology and forensic pathology, where she came from. Because wherever she came from is a cesspool who trained her. And mm. I want to know where that is. Especially if it turns out to be Texas again. <laughs> At least Texas would be consistent. Oh, yes. Texas, Texas is consistent about about their training, you know, their medical examiners on how to cover up deaths. And that's, and that's what they do. That's, that's prim the primary goal in Texas is to manipulate the findings on a death. <clears throat> and they do it all the time. And the bigger problem is the courts are aware of it, and they don't give a damn. There's no justice in the criminal justice system, and that's coming too. Mm. There are big investigations going on in Texas of the judiciary, of the medical examiner's offices, of law enforcement. This whole house of cards can come down. It, it doesn't surprise me that I see it does in one way and then it doesn't in another. When I see the Texas governor declaring a disaster order Sunday, yesterday, over the Judge Floyd death, when in Austin... We had the vandalizing of, I think, two stores. Mm. And, and, and virtually no real major damage anywhere in the state. In fact, this is the, the first time I've ever heard of any damage, you, you know, know, in a protest I, I, in Texas. And we've we got to wrap up. But, you know, I, I'll say this. When... And I, I wanted to, to bring out the dates exactly to, to use those specifically, but I'll say this generally. When one group protests, armed to the teeth, going up into a government building, they're expressing their rights to demonstrate. And they're, but they're also using their rights to try to intimidate. When another group silently protests, then there's need for um, law enforcement to be out in numbers. They, they, they can't get to even vocalize what it is that they're demonstrating about. 
And when I say, when I mention these groups, I'll go ahead and call them out. The Caucasian group can go armed to the teeth into a government building. Be all up in police officers' faces <coughs> shouting at them. With weapons drawn. And they're just expressing themselves. But some black yeah, folks sir, there. hold their hands and march down a street. And you have to come out with riot gear? <clears throat> right, you see, it, and see, this is the subtle, subtle racism. And, and, and you see the subtle racism in, in all aspects of the George Floyd case within law enforcement. You have a county attorney who deliberately misindicts the wrong officer. And, and, and in his highest indictment charge of third-degree murder, at the same time he indicts for manslaughter, which is a backdoor out. Which means that's the maximum that that the officer is going to be charged with, but because the the officer is known by the county attorney that the officer is not the one who caused the death, they know he's going to be acquitted. But this is going to be years later, and all of the attention is going to dry down because between now and the trial of Chauvin, you're going to have another death or two. Hmm. And it just, it goes on and on and on and on. Listen, Dave, we're, 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 we'll be bringing you back as we normally do. Um, I've been getting messages asking for you to come back and, and do follow-ups, even with the Reed case. And well, we have new developments in the Reed case. I'll, yes. I'll send you the briefs. They have a mandamus filed against the judge that's before the Texas Supreme Court now. They've been trying to hide it from me. I got it last week. I'll send you a copy. Thank you. Of it. So there, there is developments. And yes, I'm, I'm open to come back at any time <clears throat> that is convenient, you know, to, to you. Just let me know the time and the date and, and what the top topic is that we want to deal yep. with and and I'm always available to you and to your listeners. I want to thank you David for for taking the time out to <laughs> look at some of these angles that we've probably missed with asking the question who killed George Floyd? And that wasn't a question that was really being asked before because everybody pointed on Derek Chauvin. No, there's reason to look elsewhere. Right. You have to, you have to look elsewhere. If you don't, there's going to be another miscarriage of justice. And it's going to look like it was nothing but a big cover-up. And it's going to lead to more outrage. And the next time that we have one of these, there's going to be more violence, more destruction. And it's a downward spiral. And, and as we've all known... A house divided cannot stand. Indeed. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate love you, brother. And and me too, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to express these views. Yeah, I can't do it by myself. <laughs> I need the I need the, the support of the people and of the media. Anyway, it's good talking to you and we'll talk again shortly. Always a pleasure, bro. Good night, Kevin.
and listeners. There you have it, folks. This is where we have to call it tonight. Are you lost in illusion? Lost in Let's try to look past what we're being shown and find what we're not being shown. I'll catch y'all tomorrow. Well, later today. Now, since it's after midnight. Healthy Love is our next show right here on kevinstew.com 10 till midnight eastern time this is nikki blaze it's called lost in illusion good morning good afternoon good day to you wherever you are in the world from right here in south florida i bid you good night Tuesdays with Healthy Love and Wednesdays with Real Talk from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time. Come spend some time interacting in the stew pot where we keep things bubbling and wind down in musical therapy. The Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew is on kevinstew.com where you're encouraged to have acceptance through enlightenment.